0: Hi, hello. It's, uh, good to speak to you again today for uh, another double bill. We uh, just did one recently on Zodiac and Memories of Murder, where we talked about two films we enjoy, and the idea is we try and talk them sort of in juxtaposition to one another. And uh, this week we're going to talk about the two films that sort of inspired the whole thing. Inspired is a strong word, but sort of you and I were having a conversation. I was saying I was like having an exciting double bill of the day of the jackal and army of shadows and from there you have the moment of inspiration or madness or stupidity only time will tell to think that we should do uh, this podcast series and so now this sort of becomes where well, you now watch both of them we can now have, have a little chat about why these two maybe are an interesting double bill to do together and what we like about both of these films and i think it's fair to say from the outset that these films are both masterpieces, next to masterpieces, both just exceptional pieces of work that we both really like.
1: And, um, yeah, what do you think? I think, first of all, it's absolutely true that uh, this was the initial double bill that inspired the whole, the whole idea of the podcast. And I think it's it's a wonderful double bill. They're both two movies that I really love. And there are so many layers that you can look at them. You can look at them from, of course... Uh, like a purely cinematic point of view, but they have so many ramifications in terms of politics, in terms of the time at which um, they were made, uh, the time at which they came out, how they were uh, received by the critics, by the public. And also they're strongly connected in ways to the personal life of the directors who made them.
0: So just to give people a bit of a lowdown, if you haven't seen either either of these films, the Day of the Jackal is was made in 1973 and directed by Fred Zinnemann. Uh, and it is about the assassination, a fictionalized assassination attempt on Charles de Gaulle uh, by the eponymous Jackal, who's a sort of, we think, British assassin who kind of is a man with no name. But we see him travel around Europe and eventually end up in a bit of a cat and mouse you know, chase with the chief detective of LaBelle. It's a really interesting film, I think, on lots of levels. And it's, on the one hand, the most important thing to say is it's a thriller that kind of slaps. It's a thriller that has real energy and beat to it. And you finish watching it and you think, oh God, I could actually kind of watch that again. And it just is really just fun. And that has to be the thing you put first when you talk about it. And beyond that, there are then some interesting things i like to talk about in terms of the way it's structured how the protagonist, maybe, because I'll the protagonist of the film, enters the film at the 50th minute, where I can't think of many films where like the investigator starts that late in the story. And there's loads of elements to it that are just fascinating for what was really a Hollywood thriller. And then um, Army of Shadows, uh, this was made in 1969, and it's a, a really exceptional piece of work. It's not the same kind of film in terms of trying to be exciting. It's, it's in the early days of the French Resistance when the Resistance Network is sort of trying to set itself up and... He was himself in the resistance. Everyone is trying their best, but the Nazis are overwhelmingly more organized, have more resources. And it sort of uses all those things that, all those elements that Jean-Pierre Melville does so well in his Redux Noirs. They're always about outlaws and against the system, in a and they're kind of the bad guys in one way or another. But in this, he upturns it because the state is the Nazis, they become heroes, and it is sublime and sad and beautiful. And I actually rewatched it yesterday and has a profound emotional effect at the end that really doesn't lessen with repeat watchings. I watched them as an initial double bill. I don't know what sort of an unconscious decision, but as uh, I've rewatched them and there's so many things that tie them together. It's hard to even know where to start. We could start at the opening shot of both films or we could start really with just the presence of Charles de Gaulle. He's the, the thread that connects both films in Army of Shadows, he is the leader of the resistance in London, and we only see one shot of him in person from the back. And ironically enough, it's him giving a medal to the leader of the resistance in France, or his number two. And he's sort of a silent presence throughout the film, a sort of silent thread of someone who's helping coordinate from London. And obviously in The Day of the Jackal, he's the target, he's the mark. And it's sort of 20 years later, but um, he's now the head of state, this extraordinarily divisive figure who half the country loved and half the country loathed. And again, he is a silent presence, but ironically enough, at the end of the film, it's him giving a medal on, you know, um, Liberation Day. It's fascinating to see two films where one man's presence can kind of be a ghost in the system almost.
1: Yes, and and this is what makes the juxtaposition of these two films so interesting in a way. Um, they came out just four years apart from one another, and they look at two very different pages of French history. Uh, but but they're joined together by by the figure of of the goal. And just in terms of historical background, well, I think most people will be able to place Army of Shadows into context of World War II. Maybe it's just worth saying a couple of words about. The Day of the Jackal which is set in 1962 uh, its opening scene reenacts uh, a real assassination attempt on uh, Charles de Gaulle and then the film imagines a second uh, fictional one now uh, something else that might be worth saying is that the Gaulle came into power after World War II as as the chairman of the provisional government that had to draft uh, the new French constitution Uh, the constitution of what was called the Fourth uh, Republic. Uh, He then resigned uh, because he opposed the new constitution, which established a parliamentary system, whereas he wanted France to have uh, a presidential system. Now, the following 12 years were very heated uh, due to great political polarization and a series of very short and weak governments made of unlikely uh, alliances uh, of... Uh, centrist parties and socialist parties, whose main aim was to keep the biggest party in France, the Communist Party, out of power. And at the same time, France was facing three different international crises, one in uh, in the China, one in Tunisia, and one in uh, Algeria, which were all French colonies that were starting uh, their movement for independence. So there was the first Indochina war where uh, France lost its colonies in Indochina. That will lead to the Vietnam War, but you know we can't go into that. Then there was a more peaceful process in, in Tunisia, where Tunisia became independent uh, through political reform. And then there was the Algerian War, which lasted almost eight years and was uh, shockingly violent and uh, became incredibly unpopular and tore French society uh, apart. What's interesting about that as well is a
0: lot of the tenor and tomber of the Algerian war is that of a civil war. So many French Pien had emigrated. There's an element of tragedy to it for the French
1: people that was really held close to the bone and de Gaulle... uh, Well, 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 de Gaulle was called back into power in 1958 following uh, a military coup. The army was basically accusing the French government of... Uh, abandoning Algeria, and and they were imposing on the president to uh, name a new prime minister. And that's how the goal was called back onto the political scene as as a leader. Mm. But when he became prime minister, he actually did something different from what the army Mm. expected, which was, in the end, to uh, allow Algeria uh, to become an independent country. He didn't do that on his own. He was much pressured by the international community, by the United States. And, and so on, but in a way the nationalistic faction of the army felt that de Gaulle had betrayed them. Cut to 1969 when Army of Shadows is released, just one year after the 1968 unrest in France. De Gaulle is still president but his figure has shifted completely and he's now seen by many as a highly conservative and uh, almost authoritarian figure. And Despite Army of Shadows today being considered a masterpiece by, by almost everyone, uh At the time, it was a very controversial film. It was rather unsuccessful, and most critics in France accused it of being a pro-De Gaulle film. So one could say that De Gaulle actually even influenced the critical and commercial success of one of these two films. Absolutely.
0: But again, I suppose the tricky thing is, if you're going to tell the story of the French French Resistance's leadership and how it was essentially created, it would seem strange to paint De Gaulle out. Yeah, you can't. I think it, 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 his presence has to be, even if you try, no matter how hard you try, it will be there somehow, but if you attack that area of history. There's one shot that's always perfectly, there's one sequence in London when he gives the medal for number two, is sort of perfectly seen again in The Other Jackal, except it's the moment he's trying to be shot at. Uh, yeah. So it's funny that that's how tie, he gets tied into both films. That, I think, leads the world to what interesting about the two opening shots is that the opening shot of Army of Shadows is the Nazis walking down the Champs-Elysees and it's this very sad scene where you see this column of Nazi soldiers walking down it and in The Jackal it's a pied-noir soldier tailing de Gaulle's car on the Champs-Elysees so I think it's an interesting comparison in films where one in one film the state is clearly foreign and there's there's a sense of occupation and actually, the underlying Day of the Jackal is this underlying tragedy of the state now at war with itself. And, you know, these people used to fight side by side in resistance to the Nazis. And if you look at any man of a certain age in the room and you know they must have been through the Second World War It's some capacity.
1: That, that's um, very interesting. In, in a way, you could imagine that some of the characters that have survived Army of Shadows are the people who are in power in the day of today.
0: 100%. And, the, you know, this sort of goes, jumps ahead to the scene that hits home the hardest for me, <coughs> actually, in the whole watching of these two films, is a sort of repeated shot, a repeated back shot of resistance members who have had living hell beaten out of them by the Nazis and... This happens a few times to different resistance members. And then the there's the same scene
1: in The Day of the Jackal, right?
0: Exactly. You see exactly the same scene to a former Pierre Noir paratrooper where he is literally tortured to death by the French state. And it is, there's, it, I find it's oddly emotional to watch the two when you watch them next to one another, especially if you watch The Day of the Jackal Second. And this is a strange comparison, but if anyone gets a chance, it reminds me a little bit of Andrei Weich's amazing film, Ashes and Diamonds, mm. where, again, so just after the Second World War, and it's sort of about the different fractions of the Polish armed forces state yeah. beginning to emerge and start to fight each other as well. The Other is not there to make its political messages in a sort of hamfisted no. way. It's there to have fun, get along with it, follow the aim beyond for the ride. But it's one of those things that when you watch it and you rewatch it, it sort of
1: gets teased out of itself. Watching these two films together really challenges your emotional. Uh, allegiance, in a way, because when you watch Army of Shadows and you see you know the this fighters uh, these resistant fighters being tortured by the nazis i mean there 's no doubt about where your sympathy is i mean mm. um, when you 're watching Day of the Jackal, you see a right wing terrorist hopefully most people won 't have sympathy for for this person or for what his ideas are he 's been tortured it, by the police it really challenges your sympathy.
0: I think as, in that scene, as the, so I think it's a very well done scene, and it's, it's again a very important because it shows the depth to which and the extent, the extensive powers of the French state. And there's a brilliant, uh, I'll talk about it in a moment, uh, J cut in it where the French uh, interior policemen say those thugs, they refer to the people, the heavy mob who torture him as, you know, animals. And I think there's even this implication that the, we should be almost biased against the French state in that sense a little bit, mm-hmm. which is important, I think, for later on in the film when we need to have a sort of divided sympathy, where when we watch the Jackal, we need to kind of almost root for him to succeed, and he's obviously like, well, let's see, let's sort of get there, come on, let's watch this. Because we know just exactly what would happen if he ever gets caught And these days tortured to death. Yeah. And it, the sympathy, I think, is overwhelmingly for that um, paratrooper when he's being tortured because of the way it's shot, and right, we've covered the politics of it a little bit uh, the mood I, and tone is so different it is so ina- insanely different you know day of the jackal is a very european film he's you sort of go from one place to t'other and it's all about borders and moving across which is something you've talked to me about
1: which is very interesting it's Whereas something day- that i really love about it how you have this constant kind of changing of seeing you're a bit in france in austria in germany in italy in the uk and you have this this Jackal, this character with no name that that, that crosses border. That's what I really love about it. Edward
0: Fox, by the way, is absolutely fantastic in this role as the Jackal. He's incredible, yeah.
1: Luckily, we got the chance to
0: have a remake called The Jackal with Bruce Willis in the same role, which shows (laughs) just how good Edward Fox is. But because he was actually in the army and um, for three years, you get that sense of someone who was in the former military, very professional. And again, that's sort of a very big difference between him as the leader in, um, as the sort the, of the killer in they yeah, the Jackal and the Army of Shadows, you get Lina Ventura as um, Gerbier, I think his name is, who's sort of the lead uh, resistance fighter. And the, yeah. it's so stark how Gerbier is the definition of a talented amateur. He, he sort of, he really is making this up as he goes along. And in The Jackal, there's the consummate professional. Yeah. The degree to which, you know, there's a scene which I love where he's with the gunsmith. And, and the gunsmith and it is clearly someone who makes guns for assassins. That's kind of just his job and you sort of assume it. He's so in the process of it. He goes, oh, which is the better bullet to kill someone with, a, you know, glycerin or mercury? And it's like, well, mercury, obviously. And yeah. it's that sort of thing by the end of it, you're like, well, that's of course what you would do. You would just use yeah. a mercury bullet. Of course, we're not amateurs here. In Army of Shadows, they're just like, he gets asked, have you ever jumped out of a plane before? And he goes, uh, no. And he's like, well, just land. And it's also just do it. Just do the next thing. Do the next thing. It's such a contrast between the, the atmosphere of yes. the two films.
1: When, when in, when in the army, in the army of shadows, when they have to execute the informer, they clearly don't know how to do it. They're all, they're like, yeah. this is the first time we kill someone. Like not the first time we kill someone probably, but it's the first time we execute someone. They don't know how to do it. They're clearly not, they're not, professional
0: let's talk items. about that scene for a second because that scene is very important i think
1: the production design they wear the same colors
0: as their environment they're specifically blended in for it to have the sort of weird masking effect where it's hard to sort of almost place their bodies on the atmosphere, on the room and the scene it, it's so hard to say because the the victim the man who's going to be killed is so tacitly agreeing to everything uh it's very hard to watch and even the way he's killed he's killed in this sort of hanging theater where it's almost he's being cradled and i think Mm -hmm. um you sort of when you sort of see that scene it's where the film is really declaring that this is a tragedy of a sort where the people you see them almost most often kill are other resistance members. you know
1: Uh, one thing i really find amazing about that sequence in day of the jackal is that you know, they're sitting at a, you know, in, in the guy, guy's living room and they're having Campari and uh, the gun maker says, so will the gentleman, referring to the target, will the gentleman be standing or will he be moving? It's a completely different world. I think you'd be also hitting on something that's also a very
0: important difference of the two films is that the Jackal is low-key, kind of funny. Like, yeah. There's a lot of humour. It's starting off when the French captain at the beginning goes, no, no French man will ever, a soldier will ever raise their rifle to me. Next shot him being shot. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of it, there's, a, there's an irony and there's a wit underlying it. Whereas in Army of Shadows, for example, in that execution scene, there is no mirth, there is no warmth. There's this us against the world mentality that the film fosters. And there is no
1: room in that for comedy. There is no room in that for levity. I know you are a big fan and connoisseur of Melville, but wouldn't you say that, that it's a bit of a trait of his... Cinema. I mean, there is not much space for humor in Melville.
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's when his style really marries in a very interesting way with the subject matter, which is obviously something very personal for him because he was in the resistance. In Melville's other films, I think there's more wit and humor, just because there's little cheekier moments. Where I think even those cheeky moments you get in other films, you just don't get in this, like at all. Yeah, and. I think he's uh, really taking this as sort of a personal reflection on what happened. Part of the reason why it's so emotionally affecting, in a way I maybe don't find in his other films, is as intensely. I think I enjoy the other films uh, as thrillers or as what they are, but I don't think I get the same resonance from the ending. Mm,
1: no, I, I agree. The ending of of Army of Shadows it's 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 incredibly powerful. I think something that might be interesting. Uh, in comparing the two directors, you might hate me for this, but like the way I've always looked at Melville is that he's someone who became a filmmaker after World War II. Uh, I think his first film was in 1947. He was not very successful in his career, mm. but he was appreciated at the later stage by American directors such as uh, Michael Mann, Walter Hill, and William Friedkin, and by novel Vogue directors as well. But in a way, something that is true about his, all of his movies every time I see them is that... He is someone who has extraordinary control of the medium. And at the same time, like there is a, a mm. amateur almost approach to, to filmmaking. Whereas Fred Zinneman was like the ultimate professional. He was someone who had been working in movies since he was in his 20s and I think directed his last movies when he was 82. Uh, he was, he worked as a, an assistant director, as an assistant camera. Like he did basically mm-hmm. all the jobs. He worked for the studio system in, in the US. They're very different filmmakers in a way. I agree with you. They are
0: very different filmmakers. And I think all Melville's films, you can sort of see are like this is Melville doing the same thing, but differently. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think Zinnemann is a more malleable director. Yeah. I mean, The Day of the Jackal, he also did Julia, Man for All Seasons from here to eternity, here to like, eternity. New, like the list he did some very different excellent excellent films that are yeah. very influential in their own way and it's hard to sort of calculate there is no Zinneman style you sort of can take zinnemann give him a good look there are the some things i would me. argue i suppose it's just in juxtaposition to the two where melville is so like yeah that is melville there's men in trench coats the over the tone france there's a very sort of look and style you're sort of Tying yourself into. Fred Zinnemann that created a very a thriller that I think you can watch and rewatch and rewatch for its fun, but it doesn't dive into a, It doesn't feel as personal as Melville's. But as you say, I think the construction of the Day of the Jackal is deeply impressive, and I think the editing in particular—it's exceptional—is insanely good. It's insanely good. The way it gets tied together, and there's just not a beat missing. And it shouldn't be understated that you know normally in a detective story, the detective is in the first minute the second minute you know sometimes you know you do five minutes of an opening murder and then you have the detective come in it takes 50 minutes for labelle to come in and yeah. the opening 50 minutes of the jackal doing his thing is there's no voiceover there's no there's nothing Very to giving yeah. the audience and i think one thing i want to touch on in the way that you love this is a european film with all those wonderful locations showing europe <laughs> i love this it's one of for me it's sort of the epitome of a pre-internet film where you know where He has to go down to the public record office and then he has to go to get the birth certificates in London and go get 30 guys to do one job, but it takes three days. And I love that sort of look at what this sort of analogue, what the resources had to be in this sort of pre-internet world to just make anything happen. It was just fascinating.
1: Something that would be interesting to pick up there is that like the same film set today, it would be a completely different film and I think a much less interesting one.
0: Yeah, I think it'd be very tough you'd have to create more layers and you'd have to it becomes much harder for the Jackal to Sort of, how does a Jackal go through an airport Yeah, how does he do any of these things it'd be much
1: much tougher to sort of see that Jason Bourne kind of you know comes close to it in a way especially
0: you mean the Bourne legacy uh, the most not the Bourne film. legacy
1: but like uh, you know
0: no, but I think one thing I'd say the I Bourne remember their is, title great, I only remember it's a great film for looking at CIA operators on computers, all going, we can't find him, we can't find him. Uh, but that's a separate debate that you and I have. Uh, yeah, but, but, basically, but, to dear listener, whoever's listening, is, I think The Bourne Legacy is an un, underrated gem, a masterpiece in the rough, whereas Ludo is not a fan. Uh, I just think yeah, it's a
1: very boring film.
0: Um, sometimes the greatest of minds can be wrong. <laughs> uh, and let's, uh, let's go quickly to performances. And is there any performances in both films that you
1: think really stand out for you? Um, Well, it it would be criminal not to mention Simon Signore uh, in Army of Shadows. I mean,
0: yeah, <laughs> I think I agree with you. I think she is absolutely just brilliant in this role. It's hard to look at Army of Shadows and not see Simon Signore, who, with all the connotations and weight that she brings to the role, and not be moved by that in a way that's hard for. The, the, it's, again, the good thing is there the Jackal isn't trying to do that. It's not trying to move you in the same ways. It's trying to be a thriller, and I think it's an absolute five-star, five-out-of-five incredible thriller, and it's perfect to what it's doing. But again, I think Simon senior in that role is wonderful, and I think she's a very... I think she's the hardest to... you be very hard place to replace her. But I think, if we're comparing films, I think Edward Fox as the Jackal is absolutely brilliant. brilliant as well. And I think he carries it off with a very... It's funny. It's almost like he, at times, is as scary as Anton Chigurh in No Country for Old Men, in that sense of just overwhelming, he will kill you, he will get you yeah. right now. But he also is kind of camp, and and a line and it's... in it. Yeah, where he says, hello, Land, Zurich, and he's just, this line where he's just on the phone, and it's he's just hilarious sometimes. But then he then becomes this sort of great white shark, and he's going to eat you. So I think those two performances, I really think, are absolutely fabulous.
1: Yeah, I think, I think in a way what is interesting about uh, Edward, Fox, ca- Edward Fox's character is that he's not doing it for any political belief. He's not doing for any ideology, mm. he's just doing it for money. My,
0: my question to you is, I don't think it's a question of political belief, but do you think there's a moment in the film where it sort of declares his moment of ego which is he has the choice to go back through to Italy or continue in France, and he's in the car, and there's a very conveniently convenient map sign yeah. that says France, <laughs> Italy, Italy. <laughs> and I think the reason <clears throat> I think the implication behind him doing that is not the money. But his ego—I right. do think—it becomes a point where he feels so committed. Yeah. It's like I'm going to do this to show that I can do this because if he does it, he's the
1: greatest assassin or one of the greatest assassins yeah. ever. It's about ego, whereas in a way, Army of Shadows—it's the
0: absolute opposite. It's about the sacrifice of ego. It's the second sac- yeah. their friend who they have to kill—the one who's done more than any of them, the one who literally saved his life in the previous few scenes—and and they have to kill it's her. the absolute polar opposite. The so time is running on before we get sort of get to the next section. I think once was there a particular. One sequence from both films,
1: your most memorable sequence? Um, the most memorable sequence with Army of Shadows, the one that has the strongest emotional impact on me is the, f- is the ending, but we already touched mm-hmm. on that. So I would say the first escape, the first time Lino Ventura escapes, uh, kills the guard, and a esca- very silent Frenchman basically sacrifices himself almost to let him. But he escape. Does. Yeah, I mean, you I hate you because you've stolen mine. That would oh, definitely be... Well, you can think, speak... No, 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 no. I think, it's true. About I think it.
0: That's, that tracking... I think that tracking shot in that entire sequence with the silent hero might be for all the wonderful things I think Jean-Pierre Melville's done. I think that might be his finest five minutes. Yeah. I think it's absolutely staggeringly, beautifully done. It's all in one shot. There's the sound of the ticking clock and it's this sort of liquid panning tilt, the panning track shot around the guard where you sort of start with them blocked in one area. And we have to say, I think it's worth saying here that the blocking in Army of Shadows is insanely, insanely yeah. good. It's 10 out of 10. It's You can learn how to block an entire film just from... the. It's an incredible piece of work in that regard. And it's I interesting because obviously Roger Deakins says it's his favourite film. You can see shades of the way he blocks in his cinematography from there.
1: Well, I think something we should definitely say something about is how stark the contrast is in terms of style between the two films. So you have something like Army of Shadows that, as as you just said, it's basically constructed on very wide shots, very long takes, tracking shots, extraordinary blocking with, you know, the characters coming in and out at the right time. And it never looks contrived or, you know, artificial. And you have these very dark colors and very, I mean, at times, almost unrealistically dark. You know, there are, there are bits where you can't almost see anything. That is, you know, the bits on the, on the, on the plane, for instance, you, you almost can't see what's, what's happening. You know, it's so dark. Uh, whereas Day of the Jackal is as almost a documentary-like mise-en-scene with the camera moving and panning in both directions, trying to follow what's going on, as if mm. the director as if the thing was really happening in front of you. The director didn't know what, what's going on. And that's, I think, I think a, a, a... Actually, you said, it's true, Jean, Jean-Pierre Melville has a more iconic style, but I would say the one thing that's been a, a, a constant element of, of Zinnemann's filmography is that he was someone who came from documentary and yeah. he always brought an almost documentaristic style to all of his films.
0: Uh, I think there's, that's absolutely true. I think the other more... Um, uh, facetious point would also probably be that I guess the the jackal had a lot more money and oh, they awesome. can do yeah. the they can afford to do documentary shots with all this the wide liberation with the liberation of France they've got all these scenes where the only way to have done it would be spend whereas uh, I think Army of Shadows is clearly on a set for a lot of it I think the plane. Yes, that, I wonder a, if the underlit element is partially just to hide the fact that it's on a sound <laughs> stage somewhere in Paris uh, yeah, and possible. i think that's probably part of the difference but i think they both work it, it, it's carried off perfectly in both films but the scene if that's going to be yours the scene i would take in army of shadows would be the sequence where he's in london and uh oh wonderful he you know, goes into the bar and he sees all these men and women dancing with the bombs around and it's a beautiful moment of defiance and a beautiful moment of what they're fighting
1: for and it, it
0: really is an emotional moment and of course the ending as we touched on is just annihilatingly sad whereas i would ironically, say,
1: in on the day of the jackal i think you mentioned my favorite scene earlier because it's definitely the one when he's at the border and he has to make a decision and he kind of acts out of pride and out of you know so in a way we already touch on my favorite scene on oh, okay on i'm sequence. sorry about that I no no, no it's great one, I mean,
0: there's only one fit scene that i think deserves to be the best scene in uh, david jackal grace the film it is i'm a huge fan of looking at films and i've said this to you before about that kind of almost the film's enthusiasm to look at a certain way of life that I don't really know much about. And I think the scene with the melon is the all-time been (laughs) better sequence about how to be a hitman, where he's wearing this jaunty neck scarf. He's got the weird gun that you don't really know much about. It's all, there's no dialogue whatsoever. All he does is draw a little circle on the top to show where he needs to hit it. And he just adjusts the sight between the two shots, then he does the mercury shot. And I think it's an absolutely perfect sequence in when that melon explodes it's simultaneously a little bit funny it's a little bit comical but when the melon actually blows up you're actually like jesus christ that's what happens when a mercury bullet hits your head and yeah. i think that is a perfectly rendered scene so
1: that would be my uh favorite scene in that which one would we put first or second in a double bill i would definitely put army of shadows first yeah i, I agree i mean in terms of lens i think they're quite similar they're both very long films okay. but they're very different rhythms i would argue absolutely completely i think that all well, the difference as well is that day of the jackal has a definite crescendo
0: like it's all about the one event that has to happen whereas you kind of get this feeling in army is the grind and the malaise of existence so absolutely i would do it that way around and as the final point is there one film you come down 51 percent in
1: favor of 41 59, 59 49, or um i would probably say day of the jackal Overall, okay. I'm not sure why, but it's a film that I could watch over and over and over again. Mm. Uh, it's true that it's not as emotional as, as Army of Shadows. By the way, it's always very hard to say which one you prefer when you're dealing with two movies you really like. But if I had to pick one, would mm. say um, Day of the Jackal. I
0: agree. I, th- I see that. And I think, you know, it's an apples to oranges in that extent. You're not really meant to enjoy watching Army mm-hmm. of Shadows. Um, I enjoy Day of the Jackal as a watch more than Army of <coughs> Shadows. But I think film history would be a poorer place without Army of Shadows than it would be without Day of the Jackal. I think Army of Shadows That's is probably sort of the definitive film about the French Resistance. Any film made about the French Resistance ever since then will have to look at Army of Shadows or it'll be influenced, even if it doesn't tries its hardest, it will be influenced by Army of Shadows. It can't not be. It is, I think, mm-hmm. the signature film of that event, although it's the best I've seen. Whereas I think the thing about the Day of the Jackal, part of the joy of it it's just a lot of fun. It's just a ride. And I think yeah. for anyone who's not seen either film, watch Army of Shadows if you want to see something beautiful, heartfelt, tragic, a part of a corner of history that, you know, many people have seen lots of films about the Second World War. So I understand your reservations about not wanting to maybe watch another Second World War film. But this is about the individuals caught up in it. So I'd urge you to watch that. Whereas Dear the Jackal, there's no this isn't a laborious or a difficult thing. It's just you want to have two hours and 20 minutes of
1: fun and just follow a killer. And it's interesting also comparing the two directors is that we were speaking about two directors whose lives were directly very much affected by World War II. I mean, uh, of course, Melville fought in the French Resistance. Fred Zinneman was an Austrian Jew who left Austrian whose parents died in the Holocaust. And all of his movies made in Hollywood, not all of them, but most of them actually deal either in a direct or indirect way with the aftermath of World War II and Nazism in Europe. If you mm. look at the search Julia from here to eternity, of course. And
0: just to put it in context, I think one of Fritz Zimmerman's incredible traits is his ability with actors. Just Insane. So just give an idea, he gave the film debut to both Marlon Brando and Meryl Streep. So arguably the greatest male film actor and female, American male and female film actors of all time, he sort of gave them their debuts on top of Montgomery Clift. And High Noon is, a, is the film, really, that's talked about real-time editing. He isn't talked about enough, and I'd love to see a retrospective of his work at some point.
1: And he was actually very successful at his time. I mean, he, oh God, yes. he, has won, he won four Oscars overall, uh, but he was also trying to push the envelope uh, quite a lot in terms of what you could do within the studio system, in terms of using non-professional actors of time, using locations instead of, instead of studios and, and so on. And one very funny anecdote that is told over and over about Fred Zinneman being forgotten, in a way. Because he had such a long career, I think he directed his first film in 1930 and he directed his last in 1982, just to, you know, give you a sense. Jesus. Um, when he was old, I think possibly before directing Day of the Jacko, he had a meeting with some young studio executive who didn't know him, didn't know his films, and asked him, do you want to tell me a bit about your career and about what you've done before? And Fred Zinnemann came back saying, sure, you first. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's That's a good place to leave it, is that basically Jean-Pierre Melville doesn't need us to tell
0: people to go see him, and you should watch *Army of Shadows because it's his masterpiece. And if you have any time and you're interested, if you just watch the five best films of Fred Zinnemann, you know, High Noon, From Here to Eternity, Man for seasons, Dare the Jackal, and maybe Julia you put in there. They held yeah. up against nearly anyone's best five other films, and definitely. Really,
1: he's a forgotten great.
0: He was really a, a master filmmaker. Especially if you put enough.
1: those films in the context of what was happening at the time, what absolutely the movies may, being made, and how those movies were kind of reacting in a way against that. Uh, absolutely, especially High Noon. I would say um, High Noon is one of those films that's just remarkable. I'm sure that mo- a lot of people say, oh, of course, High Noon, Gary Cooper. Uh, Grace Kelly, uh, who directed it. I I knew Fred Zimmerman directed it. I did not know Stanley Kramer produced I it. it. I yeah,
0: did not know that one. And now they're anyway, incredibly influential
1: filmmakers. God, yeah.
0: It was um. Anyway, but I think this is a good place. Is there anything else going to touch on while we do double?
1: Uh I think we can enter in our last act. Right. Okay. So, last, last on the beach locations: uh, the Jackal or I'm in. On day of the jackal i think uh, because location
0: of-, of all the people who did their job well it is very very possible that the location manager on day of the jackal did the best job <laughs> the locations yeah. are insane the locations are absolutely insane like mm-hmm. whoever did was doing locations well
1: done the final sequence during uh, liberation day was actually shot during the parade for the 14th of july
0: uh, okay. Which is not
1: Liberation Day, it's Bastille Day. I mean, that makes a lot of um, sense. Usually it's not allowed, but apparently the the French producer managed to pull some strings and they managed to shoot uh, during the actual parade.
0: I would say then uh, editing, would you say Day of the Jackal or Army of Shadows? Uh, editing, definitely Day of the Jackal. Editing, uh, I'd also say Day of the Jackal. I don't know, I don't get a disagreement, but I think cinematography, I think I would say 100% is... Army of Shadows. I think it's yes. the best cinematography. Yes, absolutely. We'll Production
1: design that might be a more contestable one because we gave location to uh, Day of the Jackal. I think design probably might go to Army of Shadows because I think there is more that is actually design. Possibly, like it's so laser focused in Army of Shadows.
0: Uh, performance. This is a harder we, one.
1: We touched on that before. I can't really. I think they're both. I think both Edward Fox and Simon Signore are two very strong iconic
0: I think that the only way we can separate this is that one has a young Derek Jacobi, just has an assistant just directing <laughs> around that's the great other one doesn't so I think uh, that's my tiebreaker and mm. I don't want to I don't know how I can put direction against one another I think it's unfair no but you I can't really it's really hard but I think I would say the difference is I think whilst it's nigh on impossible to change the director of Day of the Jackal, as we just talked about how great Fred Zinnemann is. There's a world in which Walter Hill, other filmmakers could have taken it and done an analogue, not as good, but different. Like Michael uh, Mann could, could... Michael Mann 2.0 or before Michael Mann. I think Michael Mann would have done a very good version of this, actually. You can or William see a lot Fred Zinnaman's... Exactly
1: all of them could do... Paul Greengrass would direct a very good deal for Jackal.
0: Exactly, as we talked about, there's a people yeah. who could do this. Whereas I think Jean-Pierre Melville, this film, no one else really, in my mind, could really do that. I think it'd be very, Johnny very Cole, hard. maybe,
1: or John Woo, I would say. In a different <sighs> Shadows. No, exactly. not Army Shadows, right? Yeah. That's no, the thing no, that's 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 I'm saying, good. you can't
0: really get anyone else to redo Army Shadows from a different... That is him. Um, and in a way, it's a shame that one of Fred Zinnemann's great qualities
1: was his malleability. Yeah, he, yeah. he was a chameleon. Um, he exactly. He was an incredibly versatile, and I think his own, his main signature is bringing documentary language into fiction. And, and that's not to be that.
0: understated. I mean, the way the camera moves, the way the camera is freed. He was working in Hollywood from the golden high point of the golden age in the '30s, all the way through, and. Very few people got that kind of perspective on the changes. that He was there almost at the birth of sound.
1: There is a very early film by Fred Zinnemann called... I think the actual translation is People on Sunday. It was uh, made in 1930 in Berlin. It's a silent film. It was directed uh, by a group of very young, up-and-coming German-Austrian directors. Fred Zinnemann, Billy Wilder, Robert Sjodmar, Edward G. Omer, all working together in the, That's on this insane. film. insane. They were all uh, young German-Austrian directors who all had to leave then Germany and Austria. Uh, it's an Jewish. interesting
0: one. I think it's an interesting thing to consider when you sort of look at it in that context. The Second World War in so many ways annihilated so many things for so many cultures. This is such a millionth at the millionth the little the smallest point compared to all the enormous loss of life and all the other things obviously but it's as a film lover you sort of wonder my god what would it have been like if we'd lived in a world with those great talented artists being allowed to work in germany it's just very interesting and how the language and literature of film would have been so different
1: because i mean you don't have the counterfactual so you don't know what would have happened but you you, you do see what happened in a way in hollywood and in a way what sometimes I think is forgotten, I mean, I'm not sure it was forgotten at the time, but sometimes today, it was that the language, artistic language of American cinema was definitely shaped by German, Austrian, and Eastern European uh, immigrants.
0: I think some of the things that we know, about, but maybe Hollywood isn't given enough credit that part of what Hollywood did so well was to assimilate this talent into its own yeah. system. And that wasn't probably a Perfectly natural progression, but one has to say that the system did a was enriched, although you know uh, the MTD Integration Act was brought in in mm. 1949, 1947 yeah. that stopped the Hollywood studios from doing that. We're now ending, going so far away from Day of the Jackal. Yeah, everyone, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Ludo. Yeah, and, and if you, you're James. listening to this and there's coronavirus still out there, please stay safe, stay healthy, and if you could find any way to continue to support film. You know, just buying your films online from iTunes or however you can buy your films and Google continue movies, to enrich the system
1: YouTube, is the uh, key BFI key thing. Player.
0: However you do it, please just continue to give back. And it's been a pleasure, Ludo, as always. And um yeah, and next and one we we'll, can we tease our next two. Yeah, we can, and we'll have so a guest.
1: We so. might, we have
0: hopefully a guest, a young talented filmmaker, will be joining us to talk about uh, Midsummer and Don't Look Now two horror films about grief. Anyway, it was a pleasure, Ludo, as always. It was a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, stay safe and talk soon. Talk soon. Bye-bye.